Let's all stand. Uh, I invite you to open to Ezekiel uh, chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. And we welcome you to the house of the Lord. There's a beautiful spirit here today. And just a privilege to proclaim the word of the Lord uh, for you. Ezekiel chapter 1. We do have that passage in, the, in your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, it looks like this. It's on the top part. And also, if you want to follow along with notes, there's a note page there to help follow along as well. Ezekiel chapter 1. It says, In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chebar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chebar Canal. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you today. For the privilege you've given us to worship you. We're thankful, Lord, for the opportunity in which we can gather to sing your praise, to sing of your glory, to testify of your presence. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to hear your word one more time. We pray, God, that we would hear your word We pray that your word would touch our soul, encourage, inspire, renew, strengthen our soul today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Welcome to the month of March, a new month, 2018, a new season uh, this past Thursday on March 1st, I was out walking the track at the local high school with my wife. And I saw this moon, this moon. And it doesn't take much to move me and remind me of God, but this one was a fairly easy one. It's this large moon. So I came home and I, I, and I started looking up what this March 1st moon was. And it was, it was the full moon, but it was called a full worm moon by the Native Americans, and it reminds us that spring is on its way. The ground begins to soften. The full moon reminds us that the earthworm casts reappear, inviting the return of the birds and migrating birds, a true sign of spring, the farmer's almanac says. Roots start to push their way through the soil, and the earth experiences a rebirth as it awakens from the winter slumber. I know, I don't know, I'm not sure about you, but man, I enjoy kind of a rebirth, a renewal when I see something of God's grandeur and glory that reminds me of his presence watching over us on a daily basis. As I walked under that full warm moon with my wife, I was just reminded so much that God is here and God is watching over us. Today, as we observe the Holy Communion Um, At the conclusion of our sermon, we will once again be reminded of the presence of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
And as we partake of the bread of the Lord and the cup of the Lord, we should be reminded that God is watching over you. You have value, you have purpose, and you have a mission in this life to honor and glorify the Lord. Paul says, for as often as I take this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is a call on our lives. It's to proclaim the Lord's death, to proclaim Jesus until he comes. Uh, this weekend, I had the opportunity, perhaps many of you did, to uh, watch the memorial service of Reverend Billy Graham, uh, known for many as America's pastor and an evangelist. And as I was watching uh, that service, uh, I, I, I was just amazed and intrigued by, by, by the sibling, by his, his children. And each one, as each child came, each sibling came up, they shared about their dad, the Reverend Billy Graham. And one said that Billy Graham was the same when he did the evangelist crusades as he was in the house that we lived in. There was not two Billy Grahams. There was only one Billy Graham. Then one child said, came up afterwards, and she explained how God called her to share the same simple gospel message as her dad. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That was Billy Graham. Then another came Another daughter came and talked about her heartbreak and her disappointment and feeling, feeling how she was have to explain to her dad what took place and called her dad and after a failed marriage and, and coming home and, and pulling into the driveway. And there was Billy Graham with his arms wide open saying, welcome home. She said, everyone has a Billy Graham story. Pastor Emeritus has a Billy Graham story. You might want to talk to him at lunchtime about his Billy Graham story. Um, that was one of the claim to, my claim to fame was my dad knew Billy Graham. My dad was a translator for Billy Graham around the world and locally here at Anaheim. My dad knew Billy Graham. That's amazing. Uh, my, mom, my mom's claim to fame was that she recorded an album and she sang at the Hollywood Bowl. But my dad knew Billy Graham. We all have a story about how God used somebody in our life to take us to the next level. And today, as we come to the book of Ezekiel, I want to invite you to perhaps one of the most fascinating books of the Bible, Ezekiel, perhaps one of the most difficult books to understand as well. Ezekiel, right there, right behind Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, part of the major prophets, because they're large and long and sometimes hard to understand. But it's Ezekiel's prophecies fulfilled two primary purposes— One, to speak God's message to his spiritually rebellious and faithless people. And the other one, to encourage those that were in exile that God would someday restore his chosen people and bring glory to his kingdom. Ezekiel means God strengthens. Are you glad that there's Ezekiels around us? God strengthens. Chapter 1, as we just read, verse 1 says that Ezekiel talks about that he was young. It's not that Ezekiel scholars suggest that Ezekiel was about 17 years of age when, when he lived in, in Judah uh, with one of his, with his friends and growing up uh, as a priest, a son of a priest. And that there was this exile, that Babylon, Babylon took this first group of exiles, which included Daniel. Both Ezekiel and Daniel were younger than the prophet Jeremiah, but most likely were greatly influenced by big brother, big prophet brother Jeremiah. Ezekiel was born from a priest's family. 
and was training as a priest in his homeland when he was taken captive to Babylon near 25 years of age. Some of us would say that was the prime of life. 25 years of age, and he was taken out of his homeland to a place he did not want to be. During those years, thousands of men and women and children were forced to move from Judah to Babylon, more than 500 miles to the northeast. Some of us have had that experience where you've had to move, and you'd have to move a long way from your homeland, sometimes by choice, sometimes not by choice. About five years later, we get this context. The prophet Ezekiel is now in captivity. He is now in exile. He's not in a place where he wants to be. He is now looking for meaning of life. And in that context, we get the prophecies of Ezekiel. I'm not sure what your context of life is today. Maybe you're in a place you don't want to be. Maybe you're in a place where you're somewhat in bondage and restricted and limited by the circumstances that are around you. Maybe you're in a place that you had to get uprooted by something, by some circumstance, by some tragedy, and you're in a place that you really didn't sign up to be for. Well, if that's you, and if it's like me, we may be in in exile as well and taken captive by the sinful rebellion that's around us. We come to understand that in the midst of that context, God has a call on your life. Chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that. Verse 2 says, on the fifth day of the month. It was now his fifth year of exile. He was in bondage in exile for five years. Perhaps around the age of 30, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Uzi in the land of Chaldeans by the Chebar Canal. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. I don't know where you're at today, but I do know that the hand of the Lord is upon your life. You may be in disappointment. You may be in in exile, but the hand of the Lord is upon your life. I, I, I just, it just baffles me how somebody at the age of 30, I, I kind of remember being in that place myself, newly married, thinking all life was going well, and then all of a sudden it was changed. I was gone. I was uprooted from my place of employment. My professional career was uprooted. But the hand of the Lord was upon my life. We might feel sometimes like we are all alone. You might feel like no one understands. You might feel like you're out in a place and it's a dry place. But the hand of the Lord is on your life. The call of God is God's presence in your life. The second thing we see here is that we read in verse 4, he says, As I looked, on verse chapter 1, verse 4, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it. And fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as if as it were gleaming metal. The glory of the Lord is described there by Ezekiel. He looked up, and I don't know if you're like me, but I, my, my creativity is somewhat limited to try to imagine what this stuff is all about. But he looks up and he, he sees this thing. The phrase, the glory of the Lord, is popular in the book of Ezekiel. He sees this powerful vision. Verse 5, in a little bit more detail, it says, And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. So now I start getting confused and trying to imagine what that is. Ezekiel saw a wing 
a wind, a great cloud, fire, metal, and four living creatures. Fire often represented in the Old Testament the presence of the Lord. Fire is what we saw when Moses climbs up to the mountain. It was the fire that was there that guided, that, that, that was part of the presence of the Lord. Scholars suggest that the creatures perhaps he saw were like cherubims. Cherubims were known to be angelic beings that surrounded the, the God presence, honoring and worshiping the Lord continually round the clock, giving praise and glory to God. So Ezekiel writes about this, not only the cherubims and, and the four living creatures, but he writes about this wheel, the wheels that are besides that. He says, they are continuously in God's presence and represent God's glory. As we see these wheels, based on the prophet's description, if you read verse 15, it seems that each, each was formed as two wheels that were kind of intersected, allowing them to go in any direction according to the moving of the Spirit, one scholar says, without turning. In other words, you're reminding us that the Spirit of God can go anywhere, at any direction, at any time, to show up whenever you are in exile. The vision for Ezekiel was, in a sense, perhaps for him, powerful proof and assurance of God's presence, even though he was in exile. So that vision is kind of a little hard for me to grasp. So I went searching for some kind of visual representation, and I found it. You go to Google, I put in Ezekiel's vision, and boom, showed up this picture, this painting by Raphael from Italy. Ezekiel, it's called Ezekiel's vision. And he says he sought to combine his, his Greek and Roman tradition with those of the Bible. And I don't know if, how that quite looks up there, but you might want to look it up. It's, a, it's an amazing portrayal of Ezekiel's vision. Raphael, it says, had to be had to careful to both study the biblical narrative in this picture and adapt it in such a way that it made sense to all those who looked at it. You see in there that the, the creatures, the creatures together with the central figure who represents God, form an almost perfect whole. Solid yet moving with spaces in their togetherness with the colors representing the glory of God. What I like is, and I don't know if you can necessarily see it on that portrait up there, is there's this little thing on the bottom left-hand corner, a little ray of light that's coming down. And there's a little figure in there who represents Ezekiel. God is this grandor person, but he's looking down and has his eyes on Ezekiel. Isn't that amazing? God is so big, but yet he has his eyes on you. That's amazing when I see that. I'd encourage you to go on the internet, look up Ezekiel's vision by Raphael. It became a famous painting. It was stolen by Napoleon and his army and went from Florence to Paris. And then after, after Napoleon was defeated, it returned back to Florence in 1860. That's a popular, famous painting, Ezekiel's vision. Kind of reminds me of what I read in Mark Batterson's 40-Day Prayer Challenge, which says that God is great not just because nothing is too big for him, but God is also great because nothing is too small for him. Nothing, no one is too small for God. So we see that the call represents the Lord's presence, but the call also represents a mission. If you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 2, it says, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. 
And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. God has a call on your life. And that call includes a mission. And the mission is to people. We can't get away from the fact that God has called us to people. And we know if we're going to work and serve people, there's probably going to be challenges because we are people. We are humans. Somebody said that, oh, everything would be great if there wasn't humans involved. Well, we are called to serve humans. We all fall short of the glory of God, but God cares about human beings. The mission is to his people. If you look in verse 7, it says, And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Can you believe that mission? You are to speak the words to my people, but they're not going to care about it. They're, they're going to be rebellious. They're not going to listen. But keep speaking the word anyways. We have a mission. God has called us to represent his kingdom of God. And our mission is to people. And we need to continue share, like Billy Graham, the love of Jesus Christ, even though it may appear some choose not to listen. But the mission also has a purpose. Verse 8 says, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. The prophet was to speak God's word faithfully. No matter what resistance he might experience, He was called as part of his mission to speak God's word faithfully. The prophet had a rough road ahead of him, but he had to stay the course because God had a plan for his life. We have a call. We too have a mission. It might not be easy. It might be painful. It might include disappointment. But remember, it's God's mission. God calls not my will, but God's will be done. God gives us a mission. We are called and we are given a mission. And lastly for today, the call is God's word. Go with me to chapter 3, verse 1 says, And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. Eat this scroll. Or as Eugene Peterson says, his version says, eat this book. By eating the scroll, Ezekiel shows the people that he had to receive God's message and commit himself to it before proclaiming it and living it to others. Eugene Peterson writes that not merely just read your Bible, but eat this book. So what's the difference from reading to eating Why wouldn't he just tell the prophet, just read the scroll, but instead he tells them to eat this book? Well, the word of God is preparation. The word of God is nourishment. The word of God is life. Chapter chapter 3, verse 2 says, So I opened my mouth 
And he gave me this scroll to eat, and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Sweetness suggests that the word of the Lord is good. It's pleasurable. It's nourishment. It has all the vitamins for life in the word of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist say. Taste and see it. Christians, we should feed and live off of the word of God. Christians don't just study or learn from the word of God. We live off of the word of God. It's everything. C.S. Lewis talks about two kinds of reading. One reading is which we use the book for our purposes, and the reading in which we receive the author's purposes. If we just read the book, we're generally going to be reading it for our purposes. But if we eat the book, we are eating it for the purposes of God because it's life to our bones and nourishment to our spiritual lives. Sometimes God may be calling us and calling you to a challenging task. Just as he called Ezekiel, perhaps a difficult task to perform. Keep eating the word of the Lord. Find the sweetness of the word. Find the nourishment of the word. Find the fulfillment of the word. The call is about God's word. God's word is nourishment to our lives, allowing us to complete and fulfill the task that God has placed before us. Chapter 3, verse 16 says, At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Ezekiel is somewhat disappointed, heartbroken, and some suggest he was even bitter about where he was at because of the behavior of the people in light of what God's love and plan was for them. Some of us are like that too. We just get disappointed when we know God has a plan for someone's life, but they choose not to follow. That's disappointing. It's a bitter pill to swallow when you know God has something better for someone, but they choose to do things their own way. That was Ezekiel. The duty, but God called him to be a watchman over the house of Israel. Priests and ministers of that time were often called the watchmen. The duties of the watchmen were to wait and watch what God will order and to watch over and superintend to guard the people, even if they weren't listening. Ezekiel was like one, a writer says, positioned on the city wall to warn of impending physical danger. He was placed as a watchman. God has called us to watch over others. God has called you to watch his house. God has called you to watch and protect his people. God has called you to watch over even if it's a rebellious house. God has called you to be a watchman over his people. Verse 27 says, But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus saith the Lord of God, He who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. I am so thankful that God has a call 
on our lives. And God has a call on my life. God has placed me as a watchman over my spouse and as a watchman over my children and as a watchman over a church and as a watchman over a school and as a watchman over a city and as a watchman over a nation. What a privilege we have to stand guard even in the midst of rebellion. Even when we are in exile and not following God's plan, God still has a plan for your life. God loves you. God brings value and dignity to who you are. God can encourage you that in the midst of your challenges and disappointments, that God's hand is still upon your life. Johnny Erickson Tata writes that when you read a book like Ezekiel, please don't be confused by the strange and mysterious descriptions of God or of heaven or terrifying accounts of the last days. These descriptions are human beings' best effort to explain the inexplicable, instead of avoiding those books, rejoice that your God is high and lifted up and he will never be reduced to terms that we can manage. He is the source of our strength. He is the strength of our life. That is the God we follow and worship after. So what is God calling you to do? What are you doing with your life? In view, in light of Billy Graham's passing and Billy Graham's memorial, I was reminded just how precious it is to have the opportunity to preach, to have the opportunity to share God's word. This is my first sermon post-Billy Graham's passing, and I get to stand and do the same thing that other watchmen have been doing for years and years prior to me. We get to share the word of the Lord to rebellious people. God will call all of us, but sometimes it will be challenging, sometimes it will be hard, but it will always be right. Today, God is calling someone. Today, God is opening somebody's eyes so you can see his glory. Today, God is opening someone's ears so you can hear his voice. Today, someone's call, it's opening someone's emotion so you can sense his hand upon you. Let's take this word and let's eat it. Let's answer the call. God is watching over us as we watch over his people. That is the word of the Lord. And let the church say, Amen. Amen. Let us pray.